Um, what a good day. Yes. Yeah. So if you didn't get a handout, Deanna's got them. Um, I got carried away. They're not half pages, so they didn't fit in the bulletin. And so the good news is you got a lot of room to write. The bad news is with that much information, we may be here a while. Um, so, um, no, I, I promise you I won't preach any longer than three or four hours today. I'll do, do my best to keep it within that range. What's really funny is this week I was talking to Miss Ann about my passage, and I told her, I said, I'm really conflicted. As a pastor, when you begin to prepare a message and you're looking at the passage, what you're really conscious of is to try and bring the message out of the passage and not bring a message to the passage. In other words, what does the Bible say and how do I bring that to you for you to see it and you to hear it? And so as I was studying this passage, I, I was ready to go three different ways, Corey. I saw three different things in this passage that I thought I could turn into a message um, that I could bring to you this morning. And so I was like, well, should I preach all three of them? What do you, what do you, what do you think, Miss Lois? Probably not all three. And uh, somebody said, sure, go for it. I heard you over there. Um, I could pretend to be Jonathan Morgan. Yesterday we celebrated Pastor Jonathan Morgan's retirement, and uh, Dr. Bennett did talk about the first associational meeting I ever attended. Jonathan Morgan spoke at it, and I think he was still speaking when we started the next associational meeting. Um, now he, he just he has a history of, of preaching really long. And so as I was looking at this, and I thought three different messages, and I told Miss Ann, I said, here are the three that I feel like God's laid in my heart out of this passage, and then as I really just said, okay, I've got to settle down, and I have to choose one of them. So I did. I wrote a fourth message, <laughs> and it turned out to be longer than any of the other three would have been, at least on paper, so I don't know what God's doing. And uh, the other thing that was really interesting about this is uh, Dr. Bennett and I and several of the other pastors in the um, association have been talking about the fact that one of the things that's missing in our association is people who are surrendering to ministry, that feel the call of God on their life, not just to serve in the local church as a Sunday school teacher or, or on a committee, and those things are very important. But uh, Dr. Bennett, I think probably of our 60 churches, um, we probably have, what, a dozen that are full-time churches and of the dozen or so that are full-time churches, probably eight or nine of them, the pastor is 60-plus, right? Pretty close, yeah. That's a pretty, pretty close average. And so when you think about who is out there right now serving in our churches as pastors, many of them are approaching the same moment that Jonathan Morgan got to celebrate yesterday, the transition from full-time pastoring to some other form of ministry, but no longer pastoring in the local church on a full-time level. And so the question really quickly becomes, who's going to be the next pastor of a church? And, and whatever church happens to be facing that, you know what was involved in finding a pastor to bring here. That what that looked like was uh, looking at resumes from all over the world or all over the country and searching out for God's man. One of the crazy things that's happening is on the seminary level, most of the seminary students that are going to seminary now don't want to be pastors. At least not in the traditional sense of going to a church to pastor the church. They either want to be a, an associate pastor where they can work in the kingdom and they can do things for the ministry, but they don't have the responsibility of leading the entire organization. 
and so they kind of get the benefits without the risk, or they want to be in church planting where they can set the tone for the entire organization, and then they set, but what about the churches that exist? Who's going to pastor those churches? Who's going to be the next person to step in to a Height Street or to any other church? Well, here's the answer to that. It's going to be people that God calls out from within the churches. Here's what I believe to be absolutely true. And teenagers, listen, I want you to really listen today, okay? And so I don't want to have to call anybody out. Y'all aren't doing anything wrong, parents, don't worry. You aren't doing anything wrong. But I really want you to listen today because here's the reality. Some of you are already dealing with the question of, has God called me to full-time ministry? And so I want you to listen to this message, not because it's going to honor me by listening to the message, but because I believe God may have something to say to you, specifically about what he's already dealing with your hearts about. And you seniors are sitting there saying, we're off the hook. Now, I told Brother Jim Christie this morning, he told me he was going to be in the nursery, and he's listening in there because we have the sound and the video in the nursery now. And so your excuse about, I don't want to be in the nursery because I don't want to miss the message, you need to sign up. We've solved that problem. But I told him, I said, you know, I'm going to be talking this morning about the call of God on the life of people. And I said, so unless you're thinking that maybe you need a second vocation, you're probably okay. But the truth is, many of these churches that are going to be looking for pastors, they're going to be looking for pastors that don't have to have full support. And so God's going to be calling people in their 40s, 50s, 60s to the role of pastoring churches, in their 70s to the role of pastoring churches, who knows, in their 80s to the role of pastoring churches, because there are going to be a need for people that don't have to depend upon the financial support of the church. Because if you haven't noticed, most churches' finances are not climbing. If they're lucky, they're plateaued, but in many cases, they're declining. And so I, I bring out all of this in the beginning of the message because I want you to understand this. God can choose to use anyone that he desires. And this morning, he may lay on your heart that he wants to use you for something you never imagined. Now, not everyone is called to full-time ministry, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But don't ever close your heart to say, I won't do something that God's called me to do. Ask Jonah how that worked out for him. <laughs> Many of you know my story. I was saved at 14, baptized shortly thereafter. Began reading the Word of God and got a hunger for the Word of God like I could have never imagined. And I'm going to be honest, I wish I had that same hunger today voraciously reading the Word of God. I couldn't get enough of it. It, was, it just had to be part of my life, and I didn't know what God was doing, but just a few months after that, I began to feel God doing something in my heart telling me that it wasn't going to be enough for me to just sit in a church and receive, but that there was something else that God had for me to do, and that was to share the gospel. And I didn't even know what it was. And this morning I was watching Brother Roger Spradlin and he was talking to someone about whether or not um, you should share the gospel when you're a new Christian. And he said, well, of course you should. He said, if you light a candle, when does the candle start producing light? The moment it's lit. Immediately, right? 
The moment you have Jesus in your heart, you already have something that someone else doesn't have. And you can share that. You can tell what Jesus has done in your life and how that lines up with what he says in his word he will do in their life. And so I had that urge, that fire. I didn't know what it meant. I just knew that I had to tell others what God was doing and what I was seeing in his word. And so I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, I think God's doing something in my life. He said, well, tell me what you feel. And I said, I'm sitting there in the service. And, and as I'm sitting there in the service, I, I hear you preaching. And I don't know if any of you ever watched wrestling. Okay? I know, it's fake. Wrestling or wrestling? Wrestling. Wrestling. Wrestling is real. Wrestling is not. All right? It, it, I know it's fake, and, and there were people that tell you it's not fake, it's rehearsed. But he, here's the reality. In those matches that I would watch as a kid growing up, there was this tag team wrestling, Brother Ron. And there was always someone out in the ring, and they were wrestling, and generally they were getting beat up pretty bad. And their partner was standing outside of the ring. And he, he would be stretching into the ring saying, tag me, tag me. If you could just touch his hand, then you could take his place. And as I sat there in the pew and I watched the preacher, I felt myself saying, tag me. I have to share what's in my heart. It has to come out. And so when I told my pastor that, he said, sounds like you've been called to preach. You're preaching next Sunday night. I'm 14 years old. I'm preaching next Sunday night. Yeah, I'm preaching next Sunday night. And I had no idea what God was going to do in that moment. But God did. And the light that lit on that candle began to put out light right away. Because that's what light does. So let's look in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Would you stand in honor of his word? As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax, collect, in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Boy, that was a very... Um, Detailed instruction, Dr. Bennett. <laughs> Follow me. And he got up and he followed him. Now that right away we know that he wasn't the average church member. And it happened that as he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, give us a passion to call the sick and the sinners to you. Give us a heart for people. And give us a sensitivity to your spirit that when you say, follow me, that we get up and we follow. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that 
is trying to determine what it is you're asking of them. God, you give them clarity. That you help them understand that they would know the call that you placed on their life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When you look at this passage, you see some pretty amazing things. And I alluded to them as I read them. First, in the beginning part of the passage, what you see is Jesus is making his way. Now, we know from reading in context that Jesus is still in the area of Capernaum. And as he's walking around through Capernaum, he sees a tax booth. And sitting in the tax booth is a man named Levi, or other, trans, other verses, we seem to find out that this Levi is actually Matthew, who we know wrote the book of Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament. And so Levi, Matthew, is sitting there in the tax collector's booth. Now, this is very significant to understand this part. Levi, when he wrote the book of Matthew, wrote the gospel of Matthew aiming pretty much at Jewish believers, or, or Jewish people. It's a very Jewish-centered book. Well, when you think of a tax collector, you don't think of someone who is Jewish because tax collectors were hated by the Jews. But when you realize where Capernaum is in the geography of the, of the New Testament, you realize that Capernaum is right on the edge of King Herod's um, area that he controlled. And so it was kind of a gateway city into that, that location. And so Matthew is sitting there in that area, and he is, his job there is to collect taxes from people coming into Herod's realm. So now he wasn't a Roman tax collector. He was Herod's tax collector. Now, they hated the Roman tax collectors. And the reason why they hated the Roman tax collectors is because most of them were corrupt. Here's how it worked. Brother Delmer, they could come to you and say, your taxes this year, oh, and the paper says $50, but Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Delmer, your taxes are $100. And they send $50 to Rome, put $50 in their pocket. And that's how they earned their income by skimming and raping other people of their possessions. And that was bad. They hated Roman tax collectors. But Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. He's doing it to his own people for King Herod. And we know about King Herod. He was not the nicest of guys. None of the Herods were very cool. And so here he is working for the enemy, if you will, and Jesus comes up, and he sees him in his booth. And we see Jesus say the words, follow me. And he got up, and he followed him. So first this morning, I want to talk about what Matthew needed to leave. And I want to talk about what you may need to leave if you're going to follow God's call in your life. What does it look like to be willing to do whatever God calls you to do? Well, in Matthew's circumstance, the very first thing that we see that happens is Matthew had to get up and leave his former vocation, that he had dedicated himself then full-time to following Jesus and serving people. There are people today that God is still calling to full-time ministry. And sometimes it happens with someone who is in their 20s and 30s and 40s. But sometimes it happens to someone who is 14 years old. Sometimes God is calling people to a, a life of saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Wherever that leads me, I will go. And Matthew didn't have any details. Literally, the call of God upon his life were two words, follow me. That's a very authoritative statement. 
That's a very concise statement. The only thing Matthew needed to worry about was where Jesus was and where he was. Dr. Bennett, I can take a lot of satisfaction in the reality that I don't have to serve this church or anywhere else with the concern of whether you think I'm doing what God calls me to do. I must serve according to what I know God is telling me. Now, that doesn't mean I'm always right. But it does mean that my first priority has to be following Jesus. And for Matthew, that cost him something. It cost him a very lucrative job. He had to walk away from a job that, <coughs> when you look at people like Nicodemus, he had enough money to not only restore people, but to give back multiples. This was not a, a sideline profession that he did just for the extras. This was all that he was. He literally got up and he walked away. And for some people, following Jesus means being willing to step out of what you've been doing and what you've been depending upon for all of your life and saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. That's what Matthew had to do. And honestly, it's what God finally brought me to. Because I would love to tell you that at 14, I said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. And from then forward, I did exactly what God told me to do. And I started serving in full-time ministry right away. Obviously, that didn't. And along the way, I tried everything I could do to avoid doing what God asked me to do. And I got into sales, and I got to be very good at sales, and I sold everything from crickets to caskets to cars. But none of it brought any satisfaction to my life because that was not God's call upon my life. And it wasn't until I was 29 years old and someone put a gun to my head literally, that I realized Jesus was saying, follow me, and now is the time. He had to be willing to leave his former vocation. For Matthew, the call was to separate himself from family ties. Matthew would have lived there in Capernaum. And the good news for him was that most of the time that Jesus did his ministry, he did it right there near Capernaum. But there were many times that Matthew had to leave family behind. Can I tell you that's one of the hardest things in ministry? Is to say to your father or your mother or your brother or your sister, I love you, but God's called me, and I must go. Now today, that's not near as hard as it used to be. Because we have cell phones, and we have video conferencing, and, and we have airplanes, and you can be pretty much anywhere in the world in a day. But whatever you say I won't do in order to follow God, you have placed in the place of God. And sometimes, if you're going to be obedient... It may mean leaving family. Now, this is personal for me because I've had to do that. But it's also personal for me because I have children that have said, I'm going to follow the command of God, and I believe he's called me to ministry. I don't want God to take them from somewhere nearby. But that's what obedience to Christ is.
And so I say right now to my children in front of you, follow God. As hard as that is for a daddy to say, follow God. hear me now follow Jesus wherever God leads you follow Jesus and it will be better for you there than it would for you in my home follow Jesus that's the kind of commitment that it takes to be where God wants you to be in ministry. Now, I don't say that because I want to brag about my kids or about myself. What I tell you is, as someone who is living it, it is better to be in God's will than it is to be in mine. You've got to know when you have to leave. God doesn't call everyone to full-time ministry, but He does still call some. And so you may be sitting here thinking, well, I don't feel the call of God into full-time ministry. That's fine. But how are you serving Him where you are right now? Are you following Him right now? What are you doing to advance the kingdom of God right now? Not what did you do, not what will you do. What are you doing right now to advance the kingdom of God? There are still some people that God are calling, is calling to full-time ministry. I thank God that there are the 10 or 12 or even 15, whatever churches there are in our association that, that still have a full-time pastor. I thank God for that. I thank God that right now, all around Bakersfield, there are men standing in a pulpit proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. I thank God for that. You should thank God for that. I thank God that there are right now thousands of missionaries serving as part of the Southern Baptist Convention, plus the tens of thousands of others serving on behalf of other organizations for the sake of the gospel of Christ. I thank God for that. And those people are needed. God still calls some. He doesn't call everyone. He still calls some. But He does call all of us to ministry. None of you, none of you can say God hasn't called me to ministry if you're His child. You have been given the responsibility of proclaiming the truth of His gospel Every chance you get, wherever you are. Because part of what we see in this passage, as Matthew left those who were behind and followed Christ, is that wherever he went, it made an impact. The only proper response to the call of God is what we see from Matthew. He got up and he followed him. Takes guts. It takes a willingness to say, whatever the cost, I'm going to follow God. But I want to tell you, it doesn't take near as, many, as much bravery to say, I'm going to follow God, 
into the darkest regions of Africa, into the worst parts of the inner city in America. It doesn't take as much faith to follow God to the ends of the earth as it does to say to God, no. Many of us look to God and say, thank you for sending Jesus for my salvation. But we must also say, thank you for sending Jesus to be my Lord. And so right here, right now, what are you doing to advance the gospel in your life? What is it that God's calling you to do? How would he use you? Because when he calls, there is only one proper response, and that is to get up and to move, to follow him. So what did Matthew do? We saw what he needed to leave, but what did Matthew need to do? Look back at the text. Verse 15, it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and and they were following him. What did Matthew need to do? He needed to minister from his own experiences and giftedness. He needed to start where he was. Matthew didn't have to go to seminary to learn how to follow God. In fact, seminary, oftentimes, people leave there less willing to follow God than when they went. What he needed to do was to say, God, you called me. I will do whatever it is you ask me to do, and I'll start right now. When you light a candle, when does the light start? The moment the flame ignites. Minister in the midst of your own experiences and giftedness. Matthew didn't say, well, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus, and so I've got to come up with this this three-point strategy, and and we've got to have this focus group that's going to evaluate all the things that we're going to do, and and we're going to come up with a plan that's going to help us to, to penetrate the market, and we're going to buy billboards along the Jericho Road. No. Matthew said, I'm following Jesus. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is wherever he is telling people that there's hope. So Matthew starts talking to people that he knows. He invites them over for dinner. He says, come over to my house. I got somebody you need to meet. There's something that's happened in my life that's dramatic, that's amazing, that's tremendous. And all of these tax collectors, all these sinners gather up at Matthew's house and Jesus is there in their midst. What an amazing thought. The, the coolest thing, and guys, if we could ever get this through our heads and put it into action, when we just tell people about Jesus, he does the rest. So right where you are, wherever you happen to be, is the perfect time to tell someone about Jesus. Whether it's in the restaurant after you leave here, whether it's in Walmart, while you're standing in line. In fact, as I've told you before, that's a great way to move up in line. (laughs) Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, follow me, Jesus says. Do you realize how simple this was? He simply, the people that he already related to, he said, hey guys, guess what? Something's happened. You need to see it. Come on over. Now, how many people do you know that if you said to them, something amazing's happened in my life, everything's changed because of it, and I'd love to tell you about it. If they're your friends, do you think they'd listen? Of course they would. They might think you're crazy. 
Some of Matthew's friends probably did, but some of them listened. And rather than looking at how, how many people did Matthew know that didn't come to his house? Well, obviously quite a few, because I've seen the houses in Capernaum. There wasn't a lot of room. But however much room there was, it was filled with people who needed to know about the love of God. And so he just did what he was always doing. He stayed in the midst of the world and the giftedness and the experiences that he had. He proclaimed the truth of the gospel. So that means, Matthew, when you go to work and there's opportunities to share the gospel, I know HR has their rules, okay? But God overcomes rules by providing opportunities to share the gospel. My wife works in a public school. She can't introduce the topic, but she sure can answer a question. And if the difference is so obvious in you, they will ask the question. So operate from your giftedness. You might say, well, I can't do that. I, I, you don't understand. I, 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 I sound like Moses, right? How big is your God? Listen, if God is big enough to save you, isn't God big enough to use you? You can trust Him for all of eternity. You can trust Him to forgive you of all of your sins. You can trust Him to live a perfect life and die on a cross and take upon Himself the weight of the sin of all of mankind. You can trust all those things to be true, but you can't trust Him to open your mouth and talk to your friends? Come on. How big is your God? Seriously. How big is your God? Do you really believe? Because listen, if you can't trust him for that, how in the world can you trust him for all of eternity? There's a meme going around Facebook right now. It says you can trust a puzzle maker to be sure that all the pieces are in the box. Can you trust God to be sure that he's got a plan for all the pieces of your life? I believe that God is big enough to give us what we need in the moment. Do you believe that he can do all things? Do you believe that he can work in all things? Do you believe that he can use your life story to tell his life story? I believe that. And so, teenagers, can God use you? Absolutely, God can use you. Adults, can God use you? Absolutely. Just walk with him. Jesus said, Matthew, come follow me. And when he followed him, Jesus walked with Matthew into the world that Matthew knew. And he worked through him to reach those people in that world. He just became God incarnate. That was his whole purpose of coming. God in human flesh, walking among the people. And here's a newsflash. He didn't care about those people any more than he cares about people today. And he still desires to be made known in front of those people that you surround, you're surrounded with every single day, whether it's at school or at work or anywhere else. God still deserves that. And so Jesus walked with Matthew in those moments, and in walking with Matthew in those moments, he worked through him to accomplish something. But as Miss Lois and I were talking about this morning, we all have excuses. A song. We've all got excuses. Oh, I would, but I would do exactly what God's asking of me, except if I had this, I... the excuses that sometimes keep us from following Jesus center in our feelings of inadequacy 
or unworthiness. And I want to tell you the rest of my story. So at 14, I said, yes, Lord, I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Talked to my pastor. He said, I believe God's called you to preach. I get up that Sunday night, the next Sunday night, to preach the gospel. I stand up and I preach the gospel. It was so funny, guys. Dr. Bennett, everybody's sermon, first sermon's got a story. And I went to the church that Sunday morning, and I just stayed all afternoon. And I practiced. And I was going to be ready to preach my sermon. And I'm preaching, you know, just an empty, empty sanctuary. And I'm preaching with all that I've got, just like I've seen other preachers do. And the pastor sneaks into the foyer. And he's hiding behind the door, and he's listening to me. And after my sermon finished, about eight minutes after it began, he walked in the room. He said, brother, he said, that's a great sermon except one thing. God made a covenant with his people, not a convent. <laughs> Listen, I didn't even know how to pronounce the word. And several of my friends got saved that night. Was I adequate for the job? Nope. Was I worthy? Nope. Because it wasn't about my adequacy or my worthiness. It was about His willingness to work in a willing vessel. So you may say, you don't know, Pastor. I, <laughs> I never even read the Bible. My first pastor had never read the Bible when I surrendered to ministry. He had never finished reading through the whole Bible. He's a pastor. Listen, God can use you. Now, that doesn't mean you have an excuse to say, oh, I'm not going to read the Bible, use that pastor. No. <laughs> Prepare yourself for that which God's given you to do. But listen, if God calls you, follow him. Don't think, if I could do this, then I would. No, if he calls, follow him. It will always be better than not. Because the power to minister wasn't going to be supplied by Matthew, but it was going to be supplied by Jesus. And if you can do it, God didn't call you. If you can do everything that is involved in ministry, and you feel adequate for that, and you feel ready for that, stay on the seat that you're at, because you're not ready. You will never be adequate. You will never be worthy to be used of the almighty and holy and righteous, completely perfect God. But he can use anyone for his glory. He's not looking for your perfection. He's looking for your willingness. And then there was something Matthew needed to learn. He needed to leave some things. He needed to do something. And he needed to learn something. You see, Jesus is there. All the tax collectors have gathered with him. The, the crowd is there. And, and imagining, if I think, to the, going to Capernaum and looking at what it looked like in our own homes, we realize we have windows and doors and everything is nice and sealed. And we could have a conversation and nobody would... No, in, in that time, that wasn't the case. Everybody walking around would hear the hubbub of a house completely full of people and somebody teaching. It would be obvious that there was something happening in there. And so whatever's happening is drawing attention, and the critics come. Can you believe that? 
There are critics. Wait a minute. You mean if I follow God, some people aren't going to agree with me? Yep. Absolutely. Some of them, if you surrender to the ministry and become a pastor, some of them are going to serve on committees. Some of them are going to be deacons. Some of them are going to be church members. Some of them are going to be your spouse. Listen, there are times that there are going to be critics in your midst. And in this moment, there were critics that came, and Matthew had to choose something. He had to choose to listen to what everybody else was saying, or he had to listen to what Jesus was saying. Now, who are the critics? The critics are the religious people. They're the people that are in the in crowd. They're the people that are important people. They're the people that Matthew used to be excluded from because as a tax collector, he wasn't able to always go to the synagogue and meet all of the requirements. And so Matthew was probably not included among those that were considered worthy. He would have been one of the sinners they're talking about. And Matthew had to make a decision. What am I going to do? What did he need to learn? He needed to learn that the whole point of ministry is that there are people that need Jesus. The people most like Matthew were the ones that he was going to be most able to reach. And so what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? Maybe you come from a broken family. Maybe you come from a broken background. Maybe you come from a life that was hard. And I won't tell you that God caused all those things. And I won't tell you that God intended for you to suffer and to have pain in those things. But I will tell you this. God can use the pain that you've been through to point others to the source of healing. Matthew used his own life experiences, the ones that were most like him, to be able to reach them with the gospel. He also needed to learn this. There would be no barriers that the gospel couldn't overcome. See, there are two groups of people here. In this passage, you see the tax collectors and the sinners. So some of the people that have gathered there are fellow tax collectors like Matthew. People that are making their living stealing from other people. People who are despised by everyone around because of their actions and their choices. But who is this group of sinners that's talked about here? When you look back at the original language, it's easy for us to think sinners. Well, I know a bunch of sinners, right? Related to some of them. You too? That's not the kind of sinners it's talked about. This word really talks about those who are unable to keep the requirements of the law. And so there wasn't just somebody who was doing wrong things, but it was someone for, who w- could have been in all intents or for all intents and purposes, trying their best to honor God, but they just couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't fulfill all those requirements. They couldn't meet all the ceremonial law. They could have been a shepherd out in the field, unable to, to leave the flock to come in and, and come to temple every day. They could have been people that were good people, but they weren't fulfilling what God had asked of them. And so these people are, are kind of on the edge, and, and so some of them are really bad people. And some of them are people that just weren't as good as other people were. They were on the outside looking in. And there are some people who are clearly on the outside looking in. They are not a part of the kingdom of God. 
They're not a part of religion. They're not a part of the church. And they're looking in and they're looking at you and they're thinking, why are you there? And probably Matthew's fellow guys, tax collectors, were looking at Matthew saying, I got to go see what's going on with Matthew. He's lost his mind. He's off his rocker. He's walked away. You know how hard I helped, how much it cost me, how hard I worked to help Matthew get that job? You know how many good words I put in for Matthew? And here, I got to go figure out what's wrong. I got to fix Matthew. But there were also people there that were on the inside feeling pushed out, these sinners that maybe they were Jewish. Maybe they wished that they could have been everything that they, that they were supposed to be, but the ceremonial requirements kept them from fulfilling that feeling of oneness and inclusion. Guys, there are people within the church that are on the inside that feel like they're being pushed out by the religious rules that we put up. There were no barriers that the gospel wouldn't be able to overcome. Jesus said, I've come not for those who are well, but for those who need a physician. I didn't come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Jesus came for all of them. And he came for all of us. And so, if God can call Matthew to do the things that God used Matthew to do, and you believe that it is the same God that we serve today, then the question I ask you is, can God call you? Listen to me, teenagers. Can God call you? Listen to me, adults. Can God call you? Is it within His right to look at you and say, I have saved you, I have purchased you, you are not your own, you have been bought at a price, you are my child, you're a joint heir with Jesus, you're a part of the kingdom of God, and as mine, I have a job for you to do. Can he still, does he have the right to ask something of you? And if he does, do you have the right to say no? Follow me. Just a simple two-word command. And I won't tell you that if God's calling you to full-time ministry a day that you're going to understand it all right away. I won't even tell you that you're preaching next week because you're not. <laughs> I'm a little bit smarter than that, I think. But I will tell you this. If God is calling you, the only right answer is yes. Would you answer his call? Maybe God's called you and you've been hiding that in your heart. And you know, you know that there's an expectation that he's placed on your life. But you felt inadequate and you felt unworthy and you've said, he must have missed something. Do you think that's probably the most arrogant statement you could make? That the God of all of creation doesn't know what he's doing in your life? God's called you, get up and follow him. Whatever you have to leave, whatever you have to do, whatever you have to learn, get up and follow him. Who's going to follow him? If you're his child, he's calling you.
maybe to full-time service, but definitely to ministry. Will you serve him? Will you say yes? Maybe you need to make that decision today. Maybe you need to say, you're right. I know God's calls on my life. And like Luke told me when he was just a young boy, when it came to salvation, I asked Luke, Luke, do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? And Luke's response was, I need to. I'm not asking you this morning, do you want to surrender to God's call? I'm asking you, do you recognize the need and are you willing to answer that call? Father, this morning as we gather here, we gather with grateful hearts that you call men and women to serve you. I thank you, Father, that you have a plan that goes beyond anything we could have imagined to do things we never would have thought possible. Lord, even here on this continent, thousands of miles away from where you walked, the gospel was brought here that people might hear. And Lord, someone told each of us that there is hope and peace and forgiveness, that there is a relationship that we can have in Jesus. That changed us. Now, Lord, give us the obedience to walk by faith and to get up and to follow you. In Jesus' name.